Section one of Old Rail Fence Corners. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phil Schempf. Old Rail Fence Corners. Edited by Lucy Leavenworth Wilder Morris. Old Trails Chapter. Minneapolis. Lucy Leavenworth Wilder Morris. Mrs. J. T. Morris. Mr. Eli Pettijohn, 1841. Mr. Pettijohn, now 95 years old, footnote. All pioneers over 90 are so introduced as we feel that no state can show so large a number who have the same mentality. End footnote. Clear in memory, patriarchal in looks, says, I came to what is now Minnesota, but it was then part of Wisconsin Territory, April 16, 1841. I was on my way to work for the Williamsons, missionaries at Lac Parle. I landed from the large steamer, the Alhambra, at the Fort Snelling Landing. I climbed the steep path that led up to the fort, circled the well, and came to the big gate. A sentinel guarded it. He asked me if I wanted to enlist. I said, no, I want to see the fort and find a boarding place. He invited me in. I looked around this stone fort with much interest and could see Sibley House and the Faribault House across the Minnesota River at Mendota. There were no large trees between the two points, so these houses showed very clearly. The ruins of part of the first fort, which was of wood, was still on the bluff about one block south of the new fort. I asked where I could find a boarding place and was directed to the St. Louis House, near where the water tower now stands. Before proceeding there, I stood and watched the Indians coming to the fort. I was told that they were from Black Dogs, Good Roads, and Shakopee's villages. The trail they followed was deeply worn. This seemed strange as they all wore moccasins. Their painted faces looked very sinister to one who has never before seen them, but later I learned to appreciate the worth of these Indians, who as yet were unspoiled by the white men's firewater. I was told that the St. Louis house had been built after the fort was, by Mr. Baker, a trader, to accommodate people from the south who wanted to summer here. It was now deserted by its owners, and any one of the sparse settlers or traders would occupy it. He said a trader by the name of Martin McLeod was living there, and that Kitson, another trader, lived at his trading post about fifty yards away from the house. There was a good wagon road about where the road is now. My friend, for such he later became, told me it led to the government mill at the falls of St. Anthony, but it took longer to walk it than it did the Indian trail that led along the bank of the Mississippi. So I took this as advised. There were many Indians on the trail, going and coming. All at once I heard a great commotion ahead of me. Indians were running from every direction. When I came to a place where they all were, I heard lamentations and fierce imprecations. I saw the reason there. Two of their warriors were lying dead and scalped, while clambering up the opposite bank of the river, three of the Sioux's sworn enemies, three Chippewas, could be seen. The slain were head men in the tribe. The guns and arrows of the Sioux could not carry across the river, so they escaped for the time being. I was afraid the Sioux vengeance would fall on me, but it did not. I soon came to the St. Louis house. While there, I saw Walter McLeod, then a baby. McLeod, the father, had fled from Canada at the time of one of the rebellions, in company with others, but was the only one to survive a terrible blizzard and reach Mendota. Mr. Sibley at once employed him, as he was well educated. When he was married later, 
he gave him some fine mahogany furniture from his own home to set up housekeeping with while at the st louis house i walked with the soldier along the indian trail that followed the river bank to the government mill at the falls of st anthony on our way we went down a deep ravine and crossed the creek on a log we could hear the roaring of the falls and walked over to see them they were the most beautiful i have ever seen and were called brown's falls but general leduc in eighteen fifty two gave them the name minnehaha i thought i had never seen anything quite so pretty looking as the river and the woods the deer were everywhere and game of all kinds bountiful the soldier told me that no white man could settle here anywhere for ten miles as it was all in the fort snelling reservation that is why the town of st anthony was built on the east side of the river instead of on the west side and why there was no town on this side of the river for many years after we saw some sioux tepees and met the indians constantly they were a fine sturdy race with fine features and smiling faces the soldiers said they could be depended on and never broke a promise the old mill was on the river bank about where we used to take the cars in the old union station it was not then in use as the rocks had broken off leaving it perhaps forty or fifty feet from the falls a flume had to be constructed before it could again be used the falls were a grand sight we heard their roaring long before we could see them and saw the spray sparkling in the sunlight there was a watchman living in a little hut and he gave us a nice meal a few sioux wigwams were near on the other side we could see smoke way up above where the suspension bridge is now he said some frenchmen and half-breeds lived there the place was called st anthony we did not go over he also said there were many white people french scotch and english living in the country upon the red river some were called selkirk settlers he did not know why he said martin mcleod had been one of these we passed some squaws in a big dugout it was thirty feet long there were fourteen of them in the boat there was no boat leaving the fort for some time so i went to mendota crossing the minnesota river in a canoe ferry my business at mendota was to present a letter of introduction to mr sibley manager of the american fur trading company from the missionary board of ohio and see how i could reach Parle. i arrived at mr sibley's home just about noon he told me he had a boat leaving in two weeks and that i could go on her he said he had several of these boats plying to traverse the sioux he was a gentlemanly looking man and very pleasant spoken with the courtliness that always distinguished him he asked me if i had dined and being informed that i had not invited me to do so i replied i am obliged to you sir i was told that the furniture of massive mahogany had been brought up the river by boat the table was waited upon by an indian woman the meal was bountiful i had a helping of meat very juicy and fine flavored much like tenderloin of today a strip of fat and a strip of lean my host said i suppose you know what this is i replied yes it is the finest roast beef i have ever tasted no said mr sibley this is what we call boss of buffalo and is the hump on the back of a young male buffalo whatever it is it is the best meat i have ever tasted i declared some dried beef on a plate on the end of the table was also delicious mr sibley again challenged me to tell what this was my reply being dried beef no said mr sibley this too is something you have never tasted before it is bone dried beaver's tail over five thousand of them as well as the skins have been brought in here during the year there was also o'donnell crackers and tea but no bread the tea i was told had been brought hundreds of miles up the river 
I bade my host farewell, thanking him for his entertainment, and thinking I had never met a more courteous gentleman. Mr. Sibley, too, had told me that the St. Louis house was the best place I could stay, so I returned there. For my journey down the river, I had brought with me a tarpaulin and a few of my worldly goods. I hired a man with an ox-cart to take these to the boat before dawn the day it was to leave, preparatory to my early start at sunup. The boat was about sixty feet long, and propelled only by hand-power, furnished by French half-breeds, who pushed it with long poles from the front, running rapidly and then taking a fresh start to push it again. These boats could make about twenty miles a day. They almost reached Shakopee the first day. At ten o'clock the boat tied up and breakfast was served. This was very hot thick soup, made of peas and pork, which had been cooked all night over hot coals in a hole in the ground, covered snugly over with earth. It had been wrapped in a heavy tarpaulin and buffalo robe, and when served was piping hot, as it came from this first fireless cooker. Hardtack was served with his soup, and made a most satisfactory meal. The other meal consisted of bacon and hardtack, and at the end of the eighth day had become quite monotonous. Whenever these meals were prepared, the boat was tied to the bank. The mosquitoes, even in the daytime, were so terrible that it was almost impossible to live. I look forward to the time when we could tie up at night, with great apprehension on this account. However, the clerk of the boat came to me and asked if I had a mosquito net with me, and when I said no, invited me to sleep under his, as he said it would be unbearable without one. Just before they tied up for the night, the clerk came to me, saying that he was sorry, but he had forgotten that he had a wife in this village. I spent the night in misery under my tarpaulin, almost eaten alive by the mosquitoes. The half-breeds did not seem to mind them at all. I again looked forward to a night under the mosquito bar, and was again told the same as the night before. During the eight days which this journey consumed, I was only able to sleep a night under the friendly protection of this mosquito bar, as it was always required for a wife. When the boat tied up at Traverse de Sioux, Mr. Williamson met me. The trader sent a man to invite the three white men to dine with him. The invitation was accepted with great anticipation. The trader's house was a log cabin. The furniture consisted of roughly hewn benches and a table. An Indian woman brought in the first wooden bowl full of maple sugar, which she placed on one end of the table with bowls and wooden spoons at three places. We were all eyes when we saw these preparations. At last she brought in a large bowl of something which I could see was snow-white, and put that in the center of the table. All were told to draw up to the table and help themselves. The bright anticipations vanished when the meal was seen to consist solely of clabbered milk with black-looking maple sugar. Mr. Williamson left me at Traverse to go east. Before going, he helped me load all our supplies into the two Red River carts which he had brought. There were six hundred pounds on each. The trail was very easy to follow, and I walked along by the side of the slow-going oxen. By keeping up until late, and getting up at daybreak, I made the trip in seven days. For the first four days, I was followed by a great gaunt shape that made me uneasy. I knew if it was a dog, it would have come nearer. I slept under the cart the first night, but was conscious of its presence as the cattle were restless. On the fourth day of its enforced company, I met a little caravan of carts owned by a Frenchman who was with the half-breeds. I told him of my stealthy companion, and he sent some of the half-breeds after it with their bows and arrows. They followed it four miles into a swamp and then lost it. They seemed suspicious about this particular animal, and went after it half-heartedly. The trader gave me a piece of dough, and told me if it came again to put this in meat and drop it. 
he said kill him quick as one gun my sister mrs huggins wife of the farmer at lackiparo was overjoyed to see me think what it must have meant to a woman way off in the wilderness in that early day to see any one from civilization let alone her brother i had not seen her in several years they had a nice little garden and quite a patch of wheat which i was told was fine for the climate the seed came from the craw of a wild swan that they had shot it was supposed to have come from the pembina country for those people had wheat long before the missionaries came it was always called red river wheat pemmican which i first tasted on this journey was made by boiling the flesh of any edible animal usually that of buffalo or deer pounding it fine and packing it tight into a sack made of the skin of a buffalo calf then melting the fat and filling the interstices when sewed up it was absolutely airtight and would keep indefinitely it was the most nourishing food that has ever been prepared for many years it was the chief diet of all hunters trappers explorers and frontiersmen pemmican was also made by drying the meat and pulverizing it the bones were then cracked and the marrow melted and poured into this no white man could ever make pemmican right it took a half-breed to do it the red river people had cattle very early the stock at the mission at lackey parle came from there i returned to illinois in the summer of forty three and threshed in the fall i returned and built a house for gideon pond it was a wooden house where their brick one now stands in eighteen forty four i was building a mission building at travers an indian came in one day and told me there was a very sick man about twenty miles away at his camp i went back with him and he brought the white man to the mission after he was better he told me that he was one of six drovers who had been bringing a herd of three hundred cattle from missouri to fort snelling they had lost their compass and then the trail and wandered along until they found a road near what is now sock center there they met a band of sioux the indians killed the cow and when the drovers remonstrated they killed one of them and stampeded the cattle the drovers all ran for their lives two of them managed to elude the indians and took the road leading east our man was one the other was drowned while crossing the river on a log raft the rest were never found many of the cattle ran wild on the prairies the indians used often to kill them and sell the meat to the whites one of the claims at traverse de sioux was for these cattle from the owners of the herd End of section one